How many have a need in the house tonight? Let's raise our hands. We've got physical. We've got uh, things where we need God to fix things in lives tonight. Let's bring those to him. Lord, we thank you tonight for meeting us in this place one more time, Jesus. God, as we, we learn your word and we hear your word, God, we know that you are doing work in our lives, God, that you are healing in this house. You're healing needs, physical bodies, Lord. You're healing families tonight. Lord, that you're sending a word of healing to those in their homes tonight with a sickness. We thank you, God, for moving and touching in every need that's represented in this place. God, we give you all the glory. Lord, be with our pastor and his family as they travel this next week, Lord. Keep them safe during the travel itself. Lord, help him to make good decisions about which rides to get on for safety. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Hey. I've, I've learned. You got to pray that people don't make unreasonable decisions. It's not the word I wanted to use, but I won't use the other word. His sister already called him crazy, so it's fine. Uh, one quick note. If you were not able to give to the No Pizza Ranch fundraiser Sunday morning, we will still take those this coming Sunday morning. There are two envelopes left on the thingy in the, there was two, there may only be one. If you, if you can't find one and you need one, let me know, but you can bring that. If you have it tonight, want to put it in fine, if you want to just bring it Sunday morning. Um, that was, we're going to try to wrap that up so that Sister Alice can kind of get an idea of where we are once she gets back. And now that I've said that, if it turns up between then and the day she comes back, I guess you have a little more time because she's not actually here Sunday. So you actually have another week, okay, to get those in. And those are not earmarked for anything specific, this particular fundraiser, these dollars. We just all understand that everything's more expensive right now, and I had to turn the air up in here. I, you know, I run a fan for, you know, quite a while over here. The electricity is gone. We have lights. We have water, those sorts of things, and that all costs money. So this, this is just a general, let's help take care of some stuff, all right? Okay. I do not know, and I shall not say how long or what, because, again, it's six pages, but it is 14-point font. I keep thinking I'm going to be able to go back to 12, and then I print a page, and then I go back and change it all 14 and start all over again. Um, so it could be that I'm stuck on 14 font for my prints forever. I notice that every Sunday morning, too, some of my, I need to go through my papers and rewrite some things big because I'm up there going, is that an E flat or is that a B flat? Or? Not a good thing for somebody who already has trouble with that, okay? I'm already in the middle of a song and start playing in a different key. Y'all may not realize it, although it probably sounds stupid, but I do that a lot. I'll be in C, I'll start playing in the key of F. It's just, it's just a, yeah. And I don't even have ADHD or any other such thing that I know of, so. Anyways, so I had a Bible study that we were gonna do. I was getting ready to jump back into it and try to start working on it, and it just, just wasn't right. It just didn't, didn't work. So I went looking again for a inspiration, and I was out on Brother Raymond Woodward's site. He is such a phenomenal teacher. 
Wow, I had, truly, I had no idea until COVID. I mean, I'd heard his name, and he was in Canada and all that, but I had never actually listened to him. And uh, he's, just, he's just a great teacher. So I was out on his website. Just, I thought, well, I'll see what kind of sermon titles he's had. Just, you know, you're looking for something to spark a thing. Well, he has this webpage where he just puts out all of his PDF Bible studies. There's like dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens. Some have handouts. That's going to come in handy for us in the next few months. Thank you, Lord. Um, but the first one, the very first one, I read the title, and I'm like, that doesn't even, that doesn't even make any sense. Well, I should probably open it and see what it says. Well, turns out it was the one. Thank goodness it was the first one. I didn't have time to go through them all. Um, the title of this Bible study that he wrote is A Bethany Kind of Church. A Bethany Kind of Church. And when I started reading it, I realized that I'm reading part of it. I'm like, oh, Brother Colthart talked a little bit about that last week at family camp. Oh, pastor's been talking about this for a while. Oh, Brother Rick's brought this part of this story up a few times. So it's a little more um, relevant than I thought it was going to be when I opened it because the title doesn't say a lot to you, right? But... We're going to read some scripture, and then we're going to talk about it. And I, honest hand raised, do not anticipate 8 p.m., all right? But you never know. Okay, Brother Zachary's got scriptures ready for me. You do have them all now, yeah? Okay, fantastic. Uh, first, we're going to read in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Then we're going to go into John chapter 11, and we're going to read a handful of, of just sets, some sets of scriptures to get the main parts of the story out here. The first is uh, verses 1 through 4. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Then verses 17 to 21, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Verses 28 and 29 
And when she said so, she went her way, and Mary called her sister secretly, saying, The master has come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Verses 38 through 40. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone, stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? And then the last two from this chapter, verses 30, 43 and 44. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then we're going to go to Matthew. There's a lot of scripture here, okay? We're going to get it all done at the beginning. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to do verses 6 and 7 and then 13. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. And verse 13, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Then we're going to Mark chapter 14, verses 3 and verse 9. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she brake the box and poured it on his head. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And then we're going to end in John chapter 12. We're going to start with verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And then verses 9 through 11. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. And that is the end of the reading of the scripture. Bethany. Bethany was a small town situated on the eastern slope of Mount of Olives. It was about it was 15 furlongs. That word just cracks me up every time I say it. 15 furlongs from Jerusalem. Now, one and a half to two miles away, kind of. Its name meant House of Unripe Figs or House of Misery. It wasn't the most pleasant place to be. It was kind of isolated. It was kind of set apart. It was miserable to live there. Not that there was anything wrong with the town itself. It was just it was off on its own on the other side of the mountain. And today it is called, well, if you look it up, it's any variety of the word 
Azariah, and other varieties thereof, meaning the place of Lazarus. Lazarus, okay? Um, it's the name Bethany hasn't obviously stayed over the years. Bethany represents unfulfilled potential, that unripe fig. It could have been ripe, it could have been great, but it never matured. Many of us have lived in times of unfulfilled potential. I don't know, maybe you haven't, but I know I have. Sometimes it was a moment, I passed a moment, Brother Mark taught about that Sunday, I passed a moment, there had been potential there, I, I didn't seize it, hopefully the Lord will bring that person around to you again. I've lived in it for a year, I mean, there have been times, right, where you, you have these opportunities or these times where you could be growing in a certain way or take on a certain work for the Lord, and we just don't, we don't step into that potential. So unfulfilled potential, it's not a fun place to be. A lot of times we talk about it as, I, I, I'm still trying to find the will of God, right? Well, the will of God's actually a lot easier to find than, it's, it's called the Bible, and it tells you things like go to church and pray, worship. I mean, finding the will of God is not actually that hard. Um, you won't like it all the time, <laughs> okay? And, and then some people are very much, hey, it's about where I live and where God's going to send me. Well, you can do the same. If you won't do the work while you're here, why is he going to send you somewhere else to do that work? Okay? You're going to sit on your backside, then why is he going to send you to Africa or something? A uh, friend of mine, she just always knew, we're, we're not bug people. We're not, let's get out and scrounge around in the dirt people. And she just knew that God someday was going to marry her off and send her to be a missionary in Africa. Now, he didn't, thank the Lord. Um, I always assumed I would end up in Mexico, you know, not speaking the language and all. Um, just knew, just, just knew it was going to happen. But if you're not going to do the work you would do there, here, or wherever your home is, there's no reason for him to send you somewhere else. It's fighting the will of God. A lot of times that's that place where we're not really meeting our potential, unfulfilled potential. It's miserable. It's miserable. And in this town of Bethany lived Lazarus and his two unmarried sisters, Mary and Martha. We read about some different scenarios that happened to them, some events that happened to them. They were very close friends of Jesus, and their home seemed to be a place where he obviously felt comfortable because he keeps ending up back there, okay? Um, that'd be kind of cool. feel like Jesus is comfortable coming to your house. I mean, in person that would be cool, but even today, would he be comfortable coming to my house? That's a whole different Bible study. It has nothing to do with this one. I'll move on. The three events that we read scripture about that take place in Bethany involving just this specific family, okay? One was in Luke 10. That was the private su supper for Jesus that was hosted by Mary and Martha in their house. In John chapter 11, where we read several, uh, several sections, that was the resurrection of Jesus at a grave site near the town. And then the third event, we actually read three accounts from Matthew, from Mark, and from John. And that was a public supper for Jesus that was held in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, at which 
Lazarus was present, Martha served, and Mary anointed Jesus there. It was one of the two anointing events in the Bible. The other one was a different Mary. This is one of the two. Okay. In these three people that are in all three of these events, we see that these people that Jesus loved are a great picture of the church that he wants to love, that he, wants, that he loves and he wants us to be a part of. Each of them represent a different thing that he, he wants to see things happening in the church that he loves. And all of us may be one of them, two of them, you may have been all three of them at some point, and we're going to look at what those, those three pieces are. Now, <coughs> I want to mention that some of the scriptures about the third one, the public supper, mentioned Simon the leper. Let me tell you what. You try to research who Simon the leper was, and you're going to get all kinds of stuff. Okay? All kinds of stuff. I, kind of, I finally quit with the one that was trying to convince me that he was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' father. And um, so, in, to me, when I read these scriptures in the past, I've always felt like Simon the leper, well, obviously he wasn't a leper at the moment. They couldn't have been in his house. Actually, he wouldn't have been in his house. He would have been, you know, out the gates. So, at some point, he must have been a leper and healed, because he's not a leper anymore. It doesn't just go away. Their doctors couldn't cure it. There's only one logical conclusion. Jesus must have healed this person. But everybody calls him Simon the leper. It's kind of like those, you know, ironic things. Like we could call Brother Hart Little Joe. <laughs> right? Right? Like that kind of thing. So this is, this is Simon the leper. Not actually a leper, but that's how they know him. And there were lots of Simons back then, okay? But just, I just wanted to point out he wasn't having dinner somebody who had leprosy, okay? He wasn't sitting next to the person with full-blown COVID who was, like, hacking all over you, and, okay, they were being smart. All right. So the three people that Jesus really loved in these stories that show us this picture of the church. The first one's Martha. Martha was the worker. Mary and Martha are often contrasted when we hear about these verses, okay? Don't be like Martha, be like Mary. That is not this Bible study. I never liked that anyways. I like the way he went with this. Um, actually, there isn't a choice between I need to be a worker for God or I need to be a worshiper. You're not supposed to be one of them and not the other one of them. The problem is balance. Okay, the problem for Martha here was balance. There's an old hymn by Charles Wesley called Lo. I come with joy to do. I read the words today, and I'm not surprised I couldn't find anyone who's ever recorded it in the history of man, but uh, it's this really, really long, really wordy, old Methodist hymn. I don't even know who Charles Wesley was, but bless his heart, it was a very long hymn. And one of the lines in there says, faithful to my Lord's commands, I still would choose the better part. Serve with careful Martha's hand, hands and loving Mary's heart. Both of them. Even, you know, we love both of them. Martha's problem was that she had received Jesus into her house, 
And then she completely neglected him while she worked. She, the Bible says she was cumbered or she was distracted with serving. Literally, it means dragging all around. And if you've ever hosted a party in your house, you understand about dragging all around. Okay? Um, her love for Jesus had gone to do one thing and then saw another thing that would be good. I wonder if she had OCD. Could be. Did another thing. And then she saw another thing and another. But in doing good, she completely ignored the best. Okay. The woman who wanted to welcome Jesus ended up rebuking him out of her frustration. She's mad at Jesus because he's not putting Mary where she needs to be. However, it does look like eventually she got her priorities straightened out because later at that public supper at Simon the leper's house, she's serving again. It's a much larger group, but we don't hear anything about complaints. So we have to hope that she got her, her stuff figured out. Okay. Just because Jesus reproved her for being troubled with much serving, she didn't quit serving. He didn't say you're not supposed to serve. Okay, It's about balance. She didn't leave one extreme to move completely to another. So she tried to find balance. It's necessary for every worker to balance their work with worship. You can do all the work for God in the world, but if you're not worshiping, you're missing something here. Okay? So that was, that was Martha. Then we have Mary, the other one, the worshiper. Every time we see Mary in scripture, she is at Jesus' feet for the word, for weeping, for worship. At the house of Simon the leper, she took a pound of ointment of spikenard and anointed Jesus. The spikenard was very costly because it took... 500,000 crushed nards, the spike of a fragrant eastern East Indian plant to make just one pound. It's from the Nardo Stasis Jedamansi plant of the Valerian family. Valerian at least sounded familiar, and I still don't know what it is. The nards were in their roots. They had all these little spikes all over them, and those were the nards. And they would take these and they would crush them. And it would create this thick, amber-colored kind of an ointment. It, similar to what we would consider essential oils today. Okay. Very, very intensely fragrant. And they used it for all sorts of things. They used it for fragrance itself. They used it for covering the scent of things that were not pleasant to smell. They used it for some medicinal things. And it was very, very expensive because it was a, quite a process to get it. That one pound of this ointment cost about a year's wages. Now, at that time, that does, it probably wasn't a lot, but for them it would have been a lot. For most of us, you know, that's more than a car, right? I mean, that's a lot of money, a year's wages. So this is what she brought out and, and opened up and poured on Jesus' feet. It was poured on Jesus to minister to him. She didn't ask for anything. She wasn't trying to trade off, hey, I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. It was strictly an extravagant act of worship. That's all that it was. And to some people, it was a waste. Okay, Some people would consider that a waste. Whenever you make time for Jesus, there will always be someone trying to pull you away. 
even to rebuke you for spending too much. Too much time, too much money, too much effort in your worship. You're spending too much on Jesus. But that is not the case. We still have to have worship. It's a good thing to pour out extravagant worship on the Lord. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, that was the one where they were having the private supper and Martha worked, 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 and got mad because Mary wasn't doing nothing. Well, it's very possible that Mary had already done her part. Maybe she got her stuff done fast. And then so she could worship. Maybe Mary, Martha still had stuff to do, and then maybe she kept making up stuff to do. Do you know what I mean? I've done it. This is why I'm a list person. Because I could, if I didn't have a list, I could start a thing, and it'd become a whole different thing. Or if I have a list, I at least sort of keeps me on track. When I get off, I know where to come back to, right? So maybe Martha didn't have that much to do, but maybe she was doing that. Mary already had her stuff done. We don't know. Just because she wasn't working while Jesus was there doesn't mean she hadn't done her part. Um, so there she is. And it could be that the reason we have so many modern-day Marthas, people who are doing all this work and complaining about it, is because we have so many Marys who are out of balance and leave all their work for other people. You know, don't be the worshiper who won't do any work because the people feel like you're, you know, dropping the ball. Uh, just like it's possible to work to the extreme, it's also possible, he qualifies this, okay, to take worshiping to extreme. We're not talking about worshiping too much. We're talking about balance. You can't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. There's work to do. Sometimes that work is outward. We're going to go Saturday and we're going to meet a bunch of people. We're going to hand out bottles of water just to, you know, have something to put in people's hands. Say, hey, we're going to meet them. We're going to say hi. We're going to be friendly. We're going to invite them to church. How you doing? What's going on in your life? Right? That kind of thing. And sometimes it's cleaning the toilets and sometimes it's cleaning Aurora Street. I mean, work can be all kinds of things. Sometimes it's we need somebody to teach the preschool class, which somebody tried to do to me last week. It didn't go anywhere fast. Um, the children, the families love their children too much to do that. Um, there's work to do. Okay, There's work to do, and you need to be doing both. Worship that never works is fake. Because Jesus had a servant's heart. Jesus wasn't a boss. Do this, and I'm going to sit here while you go do all... That wasn't Jesus. Jesus had a servant's heart. Okay? So if you're a worshiper and you're not doing any work, you're showing you don't have a servant's heart, so your, your uh, worship is kind of fake. Um, I've seen over the years, you know, I've been in the way now. I can't believe I'm able to even say this. This just, just kills me. I think I was like 12 when I got the Holy Ghost. So I've been in the way for 38 years. I've been trying to get out of everybody's way, but can't help it. Um, I've heard, I've seen it. 
I know I can guarantee you I've done it. I know I've done it. Go to some service, I don't know, camp or a, a rally or something. See something online, general conference. Man, somebody's up there leading worship or they're on the worship team or they're a minister and they are worshiping while things are going on and they are all over it and everybody knows who they are and look at me, look at me, look at me. And they don't have time to drive the van to pick somebody up from church if you paid them to do it. They're too important for that. So you see those people, what do you think? Bunch of fakes, right? Then you start getting that Mary Martha thing going on. We're supposed to have some balance. I just got to let them go be who they are. And they're going to have to work that out with God in the end. And hope and pray that they don't destroy their witness to somebody because of it. But I can't have a bad attitude about it. But we know what happens. When Lazarus died, it was Martha that broke the tradition of Shiva. Uh, Jesus had been buried for four days. Again, you do a study on this. And you get everything from four to five to six days. This is how many days he was dead. This is how many hours he was dead. Like we actually know. Okay. But we know he had been buried for four days. That part we know because scripture said so. And Jews would mourn for seven full days. But Martha hears Jesus coming and she takes off out of the house to go get Jesus. And she actually has to go back and get Mary to bring her to, bring, um, her to meet with Jesus because she's not, it's not the spiritual thing. Ooh, angels and spirits and I just want to sit and talk about that and let's, let's, let's think about that and oh, who cares if any of this happens? You know, let's not greet people. Let's not be nice to people in the back of the church. Um, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to be mean to people and ignore people because I got to keep my mind on Jesus. Well, I think you missed something a little bit somewhere. Church is over. I knew a preacher like this. Church is over, man, out the door. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to spend time with you. I don't want to say your name. I don't even want to have to shake your hand. I'm just, I'm too important for that. I got to go. No. Martha's the one, the worker was the one who went and, and greeted Jesus and, you know, well, and then she kind of yelled at him again, didn't she? If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. He got a lot of that from these people. And they were still friends. <laughs> these ladies did that a lot. You have to be a worshiper and a worker. There needs to be some balance between the two. In the same household now, so we've got the worker and the worshiper. Then we've got Lazarus the lifeless. Lazarus, the lifeless. In the same household, there's this man that Jesus loved, but now he's died. And he's laying lifeless in a tomb, like a lot of Christians today. Christians laying lifeless in a tomb. Friend of Jesus, loved by Jesus, lifeless in a tomb. Now, we know that Jesus waited to go because he needed Lazarus to actually be dead. And he needed people to know Lazarus was actually dead. Jesus raised other people from the dead. Okay? But usually it was pretty soon after they died. Not real, real, real long. 
And so you, oh, somebody who doubted could really say, oh, they just really weren't dead. They were only sort of dead. They, you know, they, they still had some life there. We just couldn't tell because we didn't have the medical equipment to know that they were really alive. Um, there was no question. This man was dead, lifeless, no life in his body, like a lot of Christians today. And I know that this Brother Woodward must have written this Bible study a long time ago because he references some statistics in here about things that just make me laugh. Like, is MTV even still a thing? And I never watched it, but I remember when I was a kid in the 80s, it was a big deal, and I don't even hear it anymore. He mentions another statistic about Christians and watching cable TV, and I'm thinking, the internet. I don't think that's an issue like it used to be. So this is an older Bible study. So we've had to talk about this stuff for a long time, okay? People, been need, we need to be reminded to be a worshiper and a worker, and that we need to bring people back to life in Jesus. The distinction between the world and dead Christians, even some people's dead Pentecostalism, gets narrower and narrower and harder to find a real distinction. Um, we've always heard that, you hear the, the way they say it about if Christianity is here and the world is here, Christianity should stay here as the world moves this way. But what's been happening for years is as the world moves, Christians move. But it's not just an even thing. In some places, we're gaining on them, okay? In some places, we're, we're too close to their numbers, or their percentages of things like divorce and, and um, the things we watch and the things we're involved in and all sorts of stuff like that. We're just, we're too, we get too close. And that's where these dead, lifeless Lazaruses are, these Christians with no life. The heartfelt desire of Mary and Martha, the worker and the worshiper, has to be to get Lazarus out of the grave. We need these people to come out of their grave, to come back to life. Lazarus is bound by the grave clothes of the sin in which he, was, he had involved himself, and he has already started to decay in corruption. He has been dead for four days beyond hope of human intervention. God has to bring this life back into these Christians. Neither Mary nor Martha believed that Jesus or that Lazarus would truly rise. If thou hadst been here, Master, each of them say that to Jesus at one point. If you'd just been here, but Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He took that promise that they were gonna that he was gonna be okay and said, Now today I am the life. He brought that miracle to them that day. And he gave two commands around the tomb. One was, take away the stone. The dead man could not do it. The dead Christians can't always get the stone out of the way because they're dead. They're lifeless. Lazarus couldn't move that stone himself. The people around him, his friends, his family, those that came to mourn him, those that came to help his family, they had to move the stone. They had to do some work here to help make this happen. They, those who wanted to see him resurrected, they actually had to break Talmudic tradition and risk defilement 
because, you know, there's a dead body and they had all these rituals, man, about how close you could be to a, all that stuff. Yeah. Take away the stone. Somebody has to take away the stone for these people. And then the other part is loose him and let him go. When people are set free from the sin of death, they're often still clothed in those rags of the past. Others need to help them be loosed. Now, I am not talking about you being the pastor and telling them how they're supposed to be living. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. That's his job. Not my job, not your job. Okay. But we can help people be loosed from some of that. Similar to, I don't remember which one of them has said it, because sometimes y'all's messages are so close. I lose track of who said what. Okay. But somebody recently had talked about how folks come out of the world and all of their friends and everything they do is worldly. They need something else to do. If you want to help them not be running out to the bars or going and doing partying with somebody, what do you think they're going to just sit on their couch all day and, and then the next day come to church? You know, we have to help them find things to do, to, not to keep them busy, but to show them they can have life with Jesus that's not dead. Because some religions out there are kind of dead. Okay? We're not. Well, we're not supposed to be. Right? We're not supposed to be the dead ones. We're supposed to be the live ones. And so they need somebody to help move the stone out of the way. And they need people who will help loose them and help them let go. And that's going to involve that getting to know them, that Coke or coffee, that, hey, I'm going to go to the Block 59 thing on Saturday and do the water booth for a couple of hours. Would you like to come sit with me for a while? You know, we'll talk to people. Well, they can come and sit with you and, and help. There's no, you know, we're not like measuring skirts or anything in an event like that. Come, sit with us. Come as you are and let's witness about Jesus together. Because they need somebody to help them be loosed. God's the only one that can give them life. You can't give them life. I can't give them, you may be a mama in this room, okay? And you may think you gave life. And while you were definitely physically involved, the giver of life itself is the only one that can bring life into these Lazarus Christians. But we have a work to do around that, okay? Somebody has to take away the stone. Somebody has to help loose them from those rags, those clothes. The resurrection of Lazarus, Actually, I already talked about that. I'm going to skip that line. Um, so in John 12, we have the scene where Jesus is at this supper at Simon the leper's house. Jesus at the table, Lazarus at the table, Simon the leper at the table. Trophies, right? I mean, there he is. He raised this guy from the dead. He was dead dead. This guy had leprosy. He may not have been physically dead, but he was socially and community-wise dead. He was probably going to starve to death at some point because of how they treated them. Um, and here he is now with these two. And the only way Lazarus was there was because the workers and the worshipers did their part. They did their part. There are many who have been acquainted with Jesus, okay? But they are still dead. And they're still entangled in those grave clothes of sin. If they can have a transformation, 
then it will impact not just our church. Hey, somebody gets refilled with the Holy Ghost, comes back to life in this place spiritually, we're going to be happy. We're going to celebrate that. But that also impacts the community because they know people, right? They know somebody. They work with somebody. They go to school with somebody. They live with people who will start seeing a change. They're not wrapped up in those old grave clothes anymore. And it will impact them. Just like people came to this one supper, sure they wanted to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see this Lazarus dude who was dead and in a grave for four days. So, modern day Mary, it is time to put legs on your prayers. Real worshipers also work. Modern day Martha, it's time to set aside your busyness and take some time in his presence. It's kind of where the Brother Cawthorp thing came in. Brother Cawthorp was talking uh, in part Wednesday night about how we get, at a, at a large scale, we get our eyes off on what's going on. And, we, and there's so much going on. And then, we, then our focus changes to this, and then our focus changes to this, and we sometimes lose track of the big picture of the world needs to be saved, Jesus is coming soon, what do these things have to do with getting us there, and how can we help people get through that, right? It's time to set aside that busyness. That doesn't mean we quit, quit working for the Lord. We have to have a balance. Sleeping Lazarus, dead Christian Lazarus, it's time to heed the call of the master. He's the one who says, rise up, and walk, come out of the grave. Like Lazarus, you have to put forth the effort to walk out. See, everybody has to do a little something. Everybody has to do some work. Everybody has to worship. The person who was dead... Jesus brings a life, but they have to be willing to walk out, okay? And then we have to continue to do our part to help them come unwrapped, unraveled from those, those clothes of sin. The cry of Jesus is still, come forth. And the workers and the worshipers have to be a part of that. We need to have a balance. Work and worship, and helping those who he brings to life.